You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their life, how they got to where they are, the ups, the downs, how they see it and get through it all. Why is it called Claim It? Because I believe that our feelings of enoughness, of being worthy, of being successful, of being loved aren't out there somewhere. Once I get this, do this, be this, then I will feel that. Doesn't usually work that way. You just end up keep searching for it. I believe that we have to claim it every single day in order to truly feel it, to see it within yourself, that you right now are enough. You right now are successful and feeling that way can propel you to grow and do and have more if you want it. (laughs) On today's episode, our guest is Cassia Metter. She is a longtime female pro surfer. She is an entrepreneur and a major collaborator. Oh, she's also a musician. You know what? Like, She's just so many things. Let's just say she is awesome, (laughs) which you will find out in this episode. I've known her for a long time, but haven't really known her story. So it was great to sit down with her. And um, yeah, let's get into the episode. All right. Well, so what I know, well, now I know you as being many things. But when I first met you, definitely Cassia surfing. That's it. Yeah. I met you down in Oceanside, Oceanside many yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I was living down there and that's when I was really just, you know, enjoying surfing and spending the majority of my life surfing, traveling the world. And um, I think maybe when we knew each other, I had just started developing wetsuits for Roxy, which maybe. was my sponsor at the time. Yeah. So- Did you grow up surfing? Where did you get into surfing? Yeah, I grew up surfing. I grew up in the valley here in LA. So I actually was kind of born and raised in Agoura Hill. I was born in Downey, so East LA. Like most true Angelinos are born (laughs) in East LA. (laughs) Or of Mexican descendant, which is me. And then I guess kind of like growing up off the 101 freeway, it was like 35 minutes to Malibu or 35 minutes to Ventura. So I wasn't by the beach. Yeah, you were like at the beach. I wasn't at the beach. And because I wasn't at the beach, I was equidistant to two really good, you know, surfing locations that had waves all season long. Um, So pretty much I was 14. I did junior lifeguards, learned how to swim, learned the ocean. And then that kind of next uh, school year, my dad started taking me surfing with him up in Ventura during the school year. And that was super fun. So your dad surfed. My dad surfed, yeah. So he wouldn't really, like, his whole thing was he's like, I'm not going to teach you because if something happens to you and your mom's going to be pissed at me, so why (laughs) don't you, like, go to the beach and learn how to swim and learn the ocean and learn how to take care of yourself in the water, and then I'll take you surfing with me. But that wasn't until you were, I was, like, like 14, 15. Got it. Yeah, so a bit late. Were you always interested in it or was just sort of like, oh, that's a thing you can do? No, I was like, I wanted to surf so bad forever because we grew up in the valley and it was hot and I skateboarded and I snowboarded, but like surfing was like the ultimate fantasy. I would like watch every TV show possible. Like I watched Baywatch just because I wanted to see the five seconds that Kelly Slater would surf. You know, I would like watch like old 50s movies because it would be like a surfing moment in them. Like. I was just obsessed about it. And because it wasn't in my backyard, it was something that like I would like dream about just going to the beach. Like I was so excited every summer we'd take a trip to San Diego and uh, it was just so cool. I was like, this place rules. There's like gold in the sand because they have all that pyrite. So I just thought (laughs) there was like gold in the sand. And I was like, I want to surf so bad. So you finally... Got to start surfing at 14 and were, was it something that came easy for you or you just wanted it so bad you kept it doing it? It came pretty easy. Yeah. I think I wanted it so bad. I think in a lot of ways, like I had skateboarded and snowboarded right. before. So you had more skills than someone. Yeah, I had a lot of kind of like um, body awareness, I guess you would call it, just movement wise. Um, I did karate as well. So I had a lot of discipline. Oh, right. I just did a lot physically as a kid. Um, 
So I think I had a lot of like agility in that way and a lot of like discipline from like all the karate stuff I did. And I was also just super obsessed with it. And I really kind of made some good friends at the beach. And so weird freak out. I mean, after junior lifeguards every day, we'd surf until dark and then we'd camp because our junior lifeguard, like our, um, actually she owns Traveler Surf Shop now in Malibu and up in Pacifica, but she was our junior guards assistant, like counselor. And she also worked at the camp store at Leo Carrillo. And so we just like camped all summer and surfed and like just that's and all we did. And your parents, were they, were they, you're, they're okay with you like they're camping so at the beach? They're so fine. Yeah, they were super <laughs> pumped because, you know, I think like for them, they're just like, cool, like whatever. At least she's doing something. Yeah. And you were good. with like junior life. Like it seemed yeah. probably more like safe than okay, totally. she's out partying. She's <laughs> like so she's she at the surf beach getting exhausted she- <laughs> so she can surf all the time. <laughs> I was spazzing out. Yeah, I was. I, that was probably like the ocean definitely probably kept me from a lot of trouble, more so than anything. You wow, know? right. Because otherwise, because well, also, you're, yeah, because you surfing, it's like waking up at the crack of dawn, too. So it's not like not something you probably want to. I'm sure people do do it hungover all the time and stuff, too. But you're yeah. also kind of taking care of yourself. Or- you're really taking care of yourself. Like I was so fit at that time. I wish I could go back to that time. Be that <laughs> fit. That's my goal for 2020. Uh, go back to the time when I was 15 fit, 14 fit. No, you know, I mean, I think that's the thing, like idle minds, right? So I was like into something that I loved and, you know, the sun and the beach and everything keeps you honest. And so it was a beautiful childhood i kind of feel bummed for kids now having phones and all this other stuff right because it kind of takes away i don't know i think it takes away from time and like the romance of like just hanging with your friends at the beach all day and not shooting a photo not seeing it through a different lens just really like being in that moment experiencing it totally so often we're just like everywhere it's so easy to be on your phone whether standing in line this that and you're like not actually experiencing where you are Totally. Or like, I'm going to take this picture. You're still not even like totally experiencing it because you're trying to get the best picture. <laughs> totally. I used to really love photography and um, I used to shoot everything of my travels. And I kind of stopped because, well, A, because a lot of it had to do with like phones, you know, and taking those moments. So it was different. I, I love shooting film photos. Um, that said, it's not like as conscious for yeah. the earth. So I kind of like, got disenchanted but really I think it was like I felt like for all those years I was shooting photos I was like witnessing the experiences rather than being in them and so I kind of just like stopped shooting photos because I'm like I just want to be in them yeah I know that's what so many musicians I used to work for would get so mad at everybody had their phone up like during the concert you know to like video it and like share it like but just what if just be in the moment Totally. Just yeah. chill. So when did you start? Then you said you were like sponsored by Roxy. Was that like a natural evolution once you started surfing that you were just like full in? Or did you graduate high school and try to go to college? Or were you just like surfing? What can I do to make? Did you want surfing to be a living once you started it? Was that never, even a possibility? You just loved it. Yeah, I just loved it. I never really thought about it. It was just one of those things where, like, truly, I didn't think about it. I didn't think I could, you know. I just, like, love surfing. And I was like, well, I love this, so I'm going to spend all my time doing it. And it's the only thing that makes sense. And then things kind of progressed quickly. I was one of the few women at the time that was surfing in the way I was surfing. Um, and What is that? What way were you surfing? Well, riding longboards and also, like, the whole women's thing since then really um got you know like that was pre-blue crush and all that stuff (laughs) you know so that like really kind of like changed the game blue crush well i think just like the aware like a all of the stuff you know that we were doing with roxy so roxy was started in the 90s in the late 90s i started writing for them so that was the first wave of like more momentum you know, and what before, does that mean when you're writing for them? Do they start paying you? They're just like, first, they're just probably sending you their gear and then. Yeah. At first, they're like paying you enough to get gas to the beach and like <laughs> you're getting some stickers and 
some clothes and they're sending you on a couple trips. And then, I mean, I rode for them for 14 years. Wow. So, um, 13 or 14. So I really spent my life with them, you know, um, going around the world and doing things and obviously what I did for them and, and, um, how I live my life and how it supported me to live my life, including my other sponsors changed a lot over the course of that time. Because what we were doing helped surfing become more popular yeah. for women. And now it's wild because I'll go to the beach and sometimes there'll be more women in the water than men. Wow. It's That's amazing. amazing. It's rad. Sometimes I'll see like three <laughs> generations, like mom, daughter, grandma out in the water. And like when I was surfing, if I saw another girl, I mean, there was some really good girls up in Malibu. There was more so, you know, and down yeah. in San Jose, there was more so. But then it was just like still pretty rare. So even your friends that you're like sleeping on the beach with, was that mostly guys? Mostly guys, except for Julie, who was the camp counselor. But then it was like the callings and then my other friend, Chad and Tracy from Malibu. And so mostly a lot of guys, you know, like when I even would hang out at Malibu, there was mostly guys. And then there was a couple girls. There was Julie, there was Brittany Leonard, there was... um, there was, gosh, Carla Rowland, who was a bit older than all of us. And then there was Ashley Lloyd. So there was really only a handful of us that were at Malibu all the time. So when, so when Roxy started picking up to, is that then like, are you doing surf competitions or it's just like? Yeah, I was traveling the world doing surf contests. And how, what was that like? And was that, has that ever been a struggle? Because I'm assuming surf competitions can be like, feel somewhat subjective. Yeah. Right? Like, well, I mean, okay, you fall off the board, then maybe you don't win. But like, when you're get like, how, how they like, how you get points or like, you know, did you ever struggle with like how they were judged? I mean, no. I, I, when I was a kid, I was just excited to be at a contest to like, have a chance to travel somewhere. Yeah. So I never really got wrapped into the competitive Arena. Or like being like, oh, if you, I have to win this or. Yeah, like it wasn't my thing. You were like, just I'm not that competitive. Yeah. And I was just happy to be surfing and traveling. And also the thing that was cool to me was that you got to meet other people and other girls and other kids that were into surfing right. like you were that lived in different countries. Because that, then they came your family, you right. know? It's like they are, are as passionate about totally. surfing as you are, whereas people at home might not be. They're like, uh-huh. They're like tuning out when you're talking about stuff, maybe because they don't get it. Yeah, it was cool. You know, it was just really fun. Like it felt really fun and really kind of like um, just innocent. You know, there wasn't much money in any of the events. You'd win a couple hundred bucks, maybe at the most, you know, Um, and that changed through the course of my time in in the surfing world. You know, I mean, I I quit professional surfing. I I don't want to say I quit. I just. I left my sponsors in 2013. So it's been six years since I've even really done that. And I'm still surfing and traveling and stuff. Um, That said, I just kind of walked away from my sponsors at that time. Um, And I had a really cool journey and it was super rad. I was just a little disenchanted by it. You know, it's like you grow up in something and then you're like in your 30s and you're like, cool. Yeah, you were in it. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm just it's not like I'm, you know, discrediting it. And it was awesome. But it was just like a cool childhood fantasy that I got to live and I'm grateful for. And then I was like, okay, well, what more can I do for the world that also like helps to kind of share what I love and, and creates community? but isn't focused in or around a competitive mindset or arena. So were there other people then competing that did have more? It, it, that's not just a surf culture of like, yay, we're here. That was your like mindset. And there might've been other people, but th- were there some people that were ultra competitive? I mean, there's always that, yeah. you know, there's always like a, a varied spectrum within anything, you know, some people are competitive, which is why they get yeah, into right. certain things, you know, and other people aren't as much. So, you know, there was definitely like people that I experienced like throughout all ranges of it all. Yeah. And I think for the most part, people were really excited to have fun. Yeah. You know, especially like the early crew. Yeah. And like, living. especially the early crew, there wasn't that many of us, you know? And things shifted as the years went on. That said, like, you know, there was like handfuls of us for those first few years that would travel around. And it was it was small numbers and it was really tight community and everybody was just having a good time. So when you finally decided to leave 
Was that something that had been growing or how did you know that it was your time? I was just a little disenchanted and and kind of like not inspired. And I think just like traveling and growing up, it gave me like a opportunity to kind of see a lot of like our first world waste Mm. um, and how we kind of like, you know, brush it under everybody else's doormat. And I just didn't really feel comfortable um, accepting money from organizations or even like a system, a larger system that was fueling the problem. So it was more of kind of like, um, you know, where do I, what do I stand for and where do I stand? So I wasn't inspired. I wanted, I loved making wetsuits. I wanted to kind of focus on making wetsuits for women that were actually created in a more conscious ways or just like were even just made better at first, not to fall apart every two months, you know, cause the suits at the time they were like, they would just shred in two months, you know, oh, I'm like, they're. That's obviously not, yeah. pieces for the water so you're like they're gonna fall apart a lot faster than a sweater yeah you know you're like they're technical pieces that you're using in you know varied locations and in different kind of like climates and this that and the other that said like they should at least last six months to a year of avid surfing or use you know what's so and you had been working with roxy previously to create a line with them but was that more just like what how, what did you get to contribute in that? Like Yeah, like we designed everything, you know. I got really deep into it for like gosh, 6 years with, with Roxy. Yeah. So, I think uh what we did together was change the face of women's wetsuits full stop. Um at the time none of the brands were doing anything really cool. They would just like put a hibiscus flower on something <laughs> and call it a women's wetsuit. And like, you know, we started doing stuff together that was really cutting edge. And I think like was as revolutionary for um, women surfing in a way as board shorts were when they first started making the first female board shorts with Lisa Anderson in their inception in the 90s. So I think that what we did with the wetsuits was similar in that it actually gave women's wetsuits, like women's wetsuits were selling way more than men's wetsuits and they were super fashion forward and they were really cool. And then all the other brands started doing it. I mean, it's a pretty kind of like cannibalistic environment. That world, right. it's very small. One brand starts doing it and all of them uh, start yeah. doing them. I mean, it's so little, you know? Yeah. So clothes, music, anything, something catches on fire. And they're like, let's make something that sounds like that. Let's do yeah. that, that, whatever. So yeah, you creating the wetsuit line with Roxy. And was that something that they came to you saying, or did you go to them? Like, hey, I'd love to. I really some. went to them. Actually. That's awesome. Yeah, I went to them for a long time before it started actually happening. Cause I was like, just, you know, I think growing up being a California surfer, we spend more of our time in wetsuits than bathing suits. Yeah. And, um, you know, since I was actually young, I remember when I first started surfing, I didn't have a wetsuit. And this guy that I was dating at the time gave me his old wetsuit and I cut it up (laughs) and made a little wetsuit out of it that was smaller. It was like a jacket top. And so I was constantly like cutting old stuff of like people's and using it and like my dad's and stuff like that. So wetsuits were always something that I was interested in. And I was also super over the like weird hibiscus thing on my shoulder that just was like super awkward and out of place. (laughs) I get that. So that's awesome that you went to them and then like instigated that collaboration. Totally. And then, so when you left surfing, well, you didn't leave surfing, but your sponsors and professional, is that, did you end up creating your own line outside of Roxy? I did. Yeah. So I launched in 2000, gosh, the fall of 2015. Uh, Cassia Surf, which was just more elevated wetsuits for women, not for, you know, geared towards kids and nothing against kids. I just felt like all the surf brands were really supplying kids. Um, and I wanted to speak more towards women and like kind of the taste level and also the quality of material and also the price point because we were making them that much better. The price point was going to be better. Yeah. I mean, higher, yeah. you know, and you're we're paying for higher quality that will last longer. Yeah. We just wanted to make stuff that would last longer and was going to be warmer and better quality. And that was like the first way that I thought like, you know what, if I can make it last longer, 
that's being more conscious, yeah. you know? And yeah, there's more of a price point to it. And, you know, people are spending $300 on a bathing suit, but they don't want to pay more than 150 bucks for a wetsuit. But what is a bathing suit doing that's technical? Yeah. So to actually have like a technical, you know, people th- spend $350 on a sweatshirt that just has some like tie-dye yeah. on it. So it's like, okay, like this is a technical piece. And actually like to get something that's going to last, it's going to cost a bit more. We could totally make something like everybody else. And it's going to fall apart like everybody else, you know? So that was what I was really focused on creating. And I think we did that. And then, you know, our second collection, we were working with, um, some lower impact materials and we partnered with these people, Suga Yoga and started a wetsuit recycling program. So that's been cool. So we can kind of be more circular in that way. We buy back people's wetsuits. Basically, um, they ship them to us and then we take them down to the guys at Suga and then they recycle them and repurpose them and turn them into yoga mats. And is that any wetsuit or Any one of yours? Oh, wow. Yeah, not not ours, you know? Like, we're like, yeah, if you want to, you know, ours, like, last longer. Right. So they're not really sending them back yeah. yet, you know? I think I got, like, one wetsuit of my brand. And wow. all of them are just, like, you know, across the board, just, like, wetsuits that people have had sitting in the garage for however yeah. long that they felt weird throwing away. And it's cool, you know? We give people an opportunity to be part of the solution. And if it's just to raise a conversation about what happens at the end of a life cycle for something or to just build community on like trying to do something, I think like right now more than ever, people want to activate and people want to be part of positive change and they don't know how. Yeah. And so I felt like it was a way to like build the conversation in and around, well, when something has the end of its life, like where is it going? Okay, cool. We can upcycle things. You know, the guys at Suga Yoga are amazing and they've like developed this whole process. So we get to partner with them, which is co- collaborative and, and did co-creative. they come to you or how did you find them? I was that basically saving scraps from our production for like the first two years. I was just holding on to them. And I was like, I don't want to throw. And then I also had my old wetsuits from Roxy, just yeah. like bags of them. Yeah. And I was just carrying around hundreds and hundreds, like probably thousands of pounds of neoprene. And I was like, what? But I didn't want to throw it away. I just felt weird. And I was like, I got to figure out how to recycle this and turn it into something. I got to figure it out. And I just like was always looking on the internet, you know? So for a couple of years, I was just looking on the internet. And finally, these dudes popped up and I hit them up and I was like, hey, we want to recycle our wetsuits with you. We have some like scraps from our production. Because a lot of them we upcycled and made like bags and different things. But the pieces that were too small or like, you know, even the scraps from that were like, we just sat on them. And, you know, I'd moved them around enough times. It was heavy. (laughs) And I was just like, dude. And they're like, that'd be amazing. So we connected that way. That's amazing. It's pretty And that you like could have given up so early. Yeah. And I just like held it. And yeah. I just held it and I knew something, you know, because I feel like when you have an idea, there's another, you know, you always hear that, right? Like the hundred monkeys, like when one person have, has an idea, there's like a hundred other people potentially in more of like the collective field that we're all connected to. Um, that said, like I had that idea for years. I knew that there was a bunch of other people that had that idea and clearly there was in San Diego. And the yeah. guy who started it was like an environmental lawyer that wow. was just sick of you know, things not happening and he wanted to be proactive in change every day. That's awesome. And then so how did it work too? Because now you're like become a businesswoman. You're like surfer. And I guess that also evolved in, okay, because you then start working with Roxy and probably having different like contracts and conversations with them while you're building the wetsuits for them. But when you got off surfing professionally to then I want to build this, was that something did you have ties from just being in the industry or like was there struggles in like knowing what you wanted to create and then making it happen like how, okay I want to make more sustainable wetsuits and like was that what was that process like for you like was that a struggle or you just like you knew inside what you wanted to do so it just like never how much time it takes and oh we'll figure this out and like finding the right people to work with you and to make it happen and I'm guessing like where like yeah a lot goes into making <laughs> Something and then something that's more sustaining and responsible. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's a constant um, change and adaptability every day. I don't think there's like one formula that's going to work forever, which is also what we're seeing. You know, it's it's being malleable and available to be moving and um, shifting in different ways and constantly be looking at new things. And it's been an entire learning process. Like every day of it is a learning process. And that's also what's awesome about it. And it's also what's totally hard about it. (laughs) And why most people wouldn't want to do it. And why I question why I'm doing it constantly. And that's, you know, that's also what helps to create like dynamic energy. And um, I think it's also what the struggles that I find are also what keeps me going in it, you know, because it's like, yeah, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And it's not. And it's also like, I think I love being small and, you know, being at a place where like, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do the traditional wholesale model. No, I'm not going to go to trade shows. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to make a collection every year. Right. Like, I'm just going to make stuff as I make it and sell it and then keep making stuff and like learning. And right right now, I don't want to make any more stuff. I'm only doing collaborations with other brands. I'm not going to personally make any more stuff. I'm just going to sell what I have right now because it's good and it should last. And I'm super grateful to be working with other brands. Like I, I launched this last year, a collection with Takine. And that was awesome because they're a big brand in the surf world. And we got to really work with a lot more um, conscious, upcycled and or uh, repurposed materials in that collection. And that gave them some data and informed them on people want that. It sold really well. So then the next collaboration that we're like going to go shoot actually in the next little bit it has even more recycled conscious products and it's making more of an awesome change. And so I think like for me, it's like having an opportunity to work with larger brands. I have another one coming out like next year, I think spring, summer 20 um, with a footwear brand that I can't wait for everybody to see. So keep checking it out. And then some other projects. I did one with my eyewear sponsor, Rain, and we did a whole like a bio-based acetate sunwear collection so they hadn't done any more conscious eyewear and i really was like dude let's do it and and it was really well received so it's an opportunity for me to work with brands that are going to make things anyway and like kind of push them um to be using more conscious manufacturing yeah that's amazing yeah and i think yeah of course it's like those companies are already tied into the manufacturing and the sales model and all of that. And so then if you can be bringing your ideas in there and helping to shape what they're going to create in the future as well, that is making a difference. Totally. So is that where you're at right now is mostly wanting to deal in collaborations? Mostly in dealing with collaborations. That's kind of like with Cassia Surf and what I'm doing with the brand. Um, I think it's just more partnering, collaborative, co-creative. I think that's like a lot of the way forward because it's like, okay, well, what can we all pitch in in that's like, you know, what are we all best at? All right, cool. Like we can actually make way more cool stuff together. So actually for this next year, I'm not doing another collection. I'm I'm selling what I have. And, you know, with the Decline collaboration, we have some some neoprene coming out that's actually made of like melted down old tire rubber part of it. So that's like an upcycling of that. And there's just like, you know, more and more, there's like different opportunities. Um, you know, we're using non-solvent glue and non-solvent base, like, you know, uh, colors and stuff like that. So it's super chill. Because what was a, in a like generic wetsuit that somebody would buy, like what would the breaking down components of that look like? The majority of wetsuits are petroleum based. Huh. And um, so that's really been heavy. And so does there that is, mean they're also like bad for the environment to make if they're petroleum based? Yeah, and they're hard to break down. And they also are limestone. So it's like a limestone petroleum blend. And with our second collection, we did a higher concentration of limestone that was sustainably mined as opposed to petroleum. So like the rubber, right? It's rubber. So it's like, how do you make rubber? 
And so, you know, companies like Patagonia are really kind of putting forward some new material initiatives. And it takes big companies to even create the actual um, ways that we can do it because they have the money to put the infrastructure into actually developing new materials. That said, they were using this tree stuff and I think that it has great properties. Um, It's harder for wetsuits, but, you know, I don't think anybody's doing it totally right or totally perfect. We're at a really interesting time of shifting to see what works better. So I feel like that's why it's like constantly these new opportunities, these new materials, these new ways, you know, are becoming available and like the plants are changing and like, you know, they're getting more solar and wind or like hydroelectric energy. And so like, I think it's like, you know, the, the more we push, the more becomes available and new things. And then you try them and see what works better. What doesn't, you know, if, if you're going to make something and it doesn't work, well, that's the most wasteful. So actually like, how can we make things that work, work well, last a long time, and are more conscious and have the end of a life cycle. So I think it's like, it's just a constant, yeah. you know, like, well, you know, we could just go back to surfing nude. I'm down. <laughs> it's cold. It is cold sometimes. <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Psst. Hey, it's me, Trisha. Coming to give you a brief interruption because I wanted to know, did you know and have you gotten yet my daily inspiration app? It's called Own Your Awesome. Own Your Awesome. It's available in the Google Play and the Apple App Stores. It is an app full of hundreds of daily affirmations and thoughts to get you out of your head, into your heart, thinking about what matters and let go of what does not. So you can open it at any time, sort of like a magic eight ball. Ooh, what do you got for me today? You can also set an alert in the app to get a reminder every day at the time of your choice. When you want one right when you wake up, maybe you want one in the afternoon or before bed, you get a reminder every day at that time, but you could still come to the app at any time. So I went to the app right now. I'm going to hit show me a card. I got, I am completely fulfilled in this now moment. Yes. Can you choose to feel fulfilled right now where you are? Okay, next card. I have complete unwavering faith in who I am and what I am doing. Oh, I love that. That one feels real good for me right now. So if I really love it, I can hit the heart button and save to favorites. I can also hit the share button and automatically share it, send it as an email, a text, to social media. I'm going to hit show me a card again just for, just for fun. Trust yourself. That's what I got right now. Hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. It's only $3.99. There's no other fees. Cards actually get added to it. So you won't get charged anything else. I mean, $3.99. That's like less than a Starbucks these days, I think. So get it. You can also gift it from the App Store. Super fun way to gift something awesome to people that you love. Own your awesome. Go get it. Google Play. Apple app stores. Thank you. So let's talk about even going back with the first collaboration for Roxy, but even maybe today, do you ever like get in your way or like maybe want to reach out to, I'm sure a lot come your way, but like, do you face like doubts and fears of to reach out to be like wanting to collab with someone else or back in the day, even when you first started pitching to Roxy to do that? It sounded like they didn't say yes right away. So you had to keep like speaking up and saying you wanted to do that. What kept you from, what keeps you from being like, no, I want to do this. I want to do this. Even if maybe you're getting a no. I don't know. I mean, I guess I just like, if I want to do something, I'll keep, you know, pushing it to do it. And not having that fear of rejection or what will they think? They're not going to think I'm good enough. Like that's what a lot of people face. Like those fears of, I'm afraid to ask somebody yeah. if they want to collaborate, if they want to do something with me. What if they think I'm not good enough? Yeah. I mean, I would say to somebody like that, there's no harm in asking anything. Yeah. You know, and even if you get a no, a no is like an opportunity to maybe revisit something and ask yourself why you want to make it. Yeah. You know, so I think there's just more questions and like, I really don't think there's any failures, you know, Um, I think it's important to remember that and remind other people of that. And, um, you know, I think like with anything, what I do every day that I wake up and do a new thing with my brand or like try and think of something else, I'm like, 
I'm like, okay, cool. Like every seeming failure is actually more so I don't look at it as a failure. I'm like, oh, this is a freaking cool opportunity. What worked? What was frictional or or tension-based? And how can I turn that tension into like a springboard? You know? So it's like, I think like there's just so much more opportunity. And when something maybe seemingly has a miss. Yeah. I'm the same way. And but I'll still struggle to ask. Okay. You know, yeah. I'll still be like about to write an email or something. I'll be like, oh, what are they gonna think of me? Or like I'll still struggle with it, but then just be like, okay, I'm gonna ask. And then yeah, sometimes it's it, the hardest part for me is like usually like the initial like picking up the phone or mm. sending, you know, whatever. And then yeah, I don't feel like there's failure or that no could turn into a yes later and that I'm just always like well what's the harm in asking yeah there's I'm no such harm. an asker and like everything like I'll be, <laughs> go to the hotel that you know do you let me call the front desk you have a tea kettle like I mean that's normal to ask and I've been with people like yeah oh, you can't like ask for like things like there's a lot of people that feel like they're not allowed to ask with more than what they have oh interesting <laughs> yeah yeah no and yeah. I'm like oh do you guys have any of this hey do you hey can you send a toothbrush up hey like <laughs> whatever like that's like a basic example but yeah, like that i've witnessed that people stuff. that like are well you're traveling all the time too so you're like yeah. yeah no whatever like we're used to like seeing no you know like it's like that but just i've seen even other people that t- would tour all the time and they'd be like what you just called and asked them for that like that was like not allowed to like ask i'm like well they could have just told me no or even change rooms if you don't like your room like that can be like i'm really putting them out by asking to change the room. <laughs> totally. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's just about being comfortable. Yeah. And and not being afraid to ask for what you need. Yeah. And that too, when you're saying to co- revisit why you want something, that that's what I was saying, that I think when you're connected to, I, no, I really want this, or I feel like I have something to contribute, or, you know, then if you're connecting to that, then the no or not hearing back could hurt, but you're still like, you're so passionate about what you want to do then it will lead you to keep making steps to make it happen or if there was some failure thing then you're like still like okay but i'm passionate about this or i still believe this totally like connecting with why you're doing things and not just to be asking (laughs) that's it i think that that's important because you know in that same regard there's also a lot of people who could potentially over ask and over you know, and, and where's the line? And, and in that too, it's again, it's like, I think like for everybody, if there's an opportunity to like go back to like, well, why am I asking and what do I need and what's my intention behind it? Um, Cause that's supportive and understanding. And yeah. I think that that can just help everybody. If somebody's like, oh, I'm like, I see that maybe I am like a little needy or something and like okay or like maybe that's feedback that they got. They got right. feedback that they're too needy. And well, it's like, you're not too needy. You're just asking what you're asking for. And it also gives them support too, to be like, no, well, actually this is why. Because sometimes if you have a reason that you talk to somebody about like, yeah, this, I need a different room because I actually am claustrophobic and there's no window. Yeah. It's not like you're just complaining. Yeah. You're just like, need that, you yeah. know, and whatever. Oh, you're asking. Too. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. So I, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, I mean, that's a, that's a wide subject. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, so with this like singing bowls. Yeah. Right. You s- seem to have come into singing bowls at some point, which I love. So I want to hear like what your experience was that. And then also like, that's something that you started to put out in the world. Like, right. Like, Hey, come do this. Like, that's another thing to find something that you're passionate about or you enjoy. And then another thing to be like, hi, I'm going invo- to invite people to join me. Like that's something that is a lot of people would be uncomfortable doing. Well, yeah. So my, my journey with singing bowls has been interesting. So I was introduced to sound and vibrational therapy in that sort of um, sound healing modality in 2008. And in 2011, I moved back to LA. Um, I knew I was going to stop working with um, my surfing stuff, but it was going to be a couple years. Like I was halfway through my contract because at that time I was signing every four years. So I kind of moved back to LA and I was just like walking down the street and I saw one of these bowls that I had an experience with like a couple years before. And that experience really shifted something in me. It just like I was at a uh, really deep introspective time and 
just questioning a lot and looking for something more. You know, um, yoga only took me so far. Surfing only felt like it took me so far. Like I felt like there was just more to get into. And my first sound experience was like, what was that? And what was that first experience? like? Well, I was in the desert actually and we were driving around and we were on a photo shoot. We were with some people and my friend had found this place, the Integratron. I was about to say, was it at the Integratron? Yeah, but it was like Sunday and it was like the middle of the morning and we rolled by. There was nobody there but the guy Tron and he was just like fixing some stuff up and he was like, have you guys ever had a sound bath? And I was like, no, what is that? And he's like, well, come on up. I mean, now it's booked months and months in advance, but this was in 2008. So it was like 12 years ago, a long time ago. And I think they were just really getting that place going again. The sisters had taken it over and they were just really starting to revive it. Um, So it was a lot more bare bones than it is now, you know? And so we had a sound bath and I was like, this is insane. Like, what was that? And it felt like surfing. And he was a surfer actually from Topanga, Tron. And I, I, it just blew me away and it stuck with me. And then, so, you know, it was like three years later, I'm walking down the street and I see one of these singing bowls and I was like, oh my God, I need that thing. <laughs> so I just walked in and was like, can I get this? And they're like, uh, yeah, I don't think they had sold one before. Oh, the shop. It was like on display. <laughs> yeah. It was like, like, oh yeah, I think that thing's for sale. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, I think they probably had, but like the sales girl maybe working didn't cause it was like definitely a thing. <laughs> You know, they didn't have a box or anything for it. I like carried it home on my head kind of situation. (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was one of those. And so I started playing it and I was just like totally enamored with it. Kind of like how I was with surfing. I just like threw myself into it. And then I called a friend who was a musician. She came over. She's like, oh my God, I need one. So she went and got (laughs) one. And then she called a friend who's actually (laughs) my roommate now, actually, interestingly enough, that's when I met him. And then he, he's a musician and he came over and he's like, he brought his lap steel. And then, you know, she brought her like microphone and, and, and keyboards. And then we called a couple other friends and they bought like, you know, their djembe or like this other friend, you know? <laughs> so all of a sudden- So you're was, like playing music with it. So there was like seven of us and we started a performance art group um, wow. called UFO 2012. And it was during- 2011 and 2012. We actually did a little documentary with Nowness out at the Integratron back oh. in 2012 um, with Crystal Moiselle, who does like that movie, The Wolf Pack, and she also did okay. Skate Kitchen. But um, so yeah, it was like a really crazy journey. And we were playing a lot in music venues because wow. a lot of the people that were involved were in bands. Yeah. We made vinyls. We made a vinyl with a wow gallery. And we went on tour. We played a lot of different places, the Great American wow. Music Hall. And you were playing a singing bowl. We were playing, yeah. We played at Milk Studios, a big art event. We, you know, so the first two years we were jamming, 2011 and 12, we called them abductions because nobody was talking about sound baths. And we didn't even know. Like we felt like we were abducted because it was like this thing that we were all like so interested in. And we didn't know what it was. And, you know, we all were like, had our own thing. I was still making money surfing. Everybody else was still doing their thing. And we were kind of experimenting. And we felt like it was a nice thing to share with people, for people to come and like be able to sit back. It was like, you know, it was like more of kind of like ambient, abstract music. That's why it felt more of like a performance art piece, you know? Um, And it was really cool. It was like a really fun time and we really enjoyed ourselves. And then towards the end of 2012, we had gone pretty hard for those couple years and everybody was kind of going to go their separate way. I was about to quit Roxy. Everybody, you know, my one friend started like a, a whole recording thing. My other friend got involved with like a bunch of different bands. My one friend went back to Japan. Like everybody just went their separate ways. And me and and Dave, who I live with now, Farmer Dave, we were more interested in the healing elements of sound because we had just been playing for a while and getting deeper and deeper and wanting to learn more and more. Um, And that's when he and I kind of more in like 2013, 14 started playing more sound bass. And that was kind of still early on. A lot of people weren't talking about it, but we started playing at like yoga studios and like 
private events in more of a holistic healing way. And since then, we both studied with different people and got really deep. Yeah. So it's like been a long process, you know, and a lot of people, I guess like now, because it's more of like on the topic of conversation for people, they're more open to it and aware of it. Because they're more aware of it. Yeah. And we've been doing it for a long time and, and people have been coming for a long time knowing that they wanted it. And it was kind of cool to kind of like bring it into the music world and yeah. And and it's not like we were doing something totally new. I mean, it's been around since ancient times, like singing yeah. bowls, Tibetan chanting, like, you know, Gregorian chants, like all this stuff, like vibrational medicine in general has been around since the beginning yeah. of time. That said, I think it was like more um now, for the most part, sound bass or like that is like in and around everybody's like awareness. And yeah, at that time it's become more yeah, like people are seeing it. I think honestly, Instagram oh yeah, makes everything that used to seem so small and like oh, nobody knows about this. Now everybody knows about everything cuz like any everybody posts they're like oh, this wellness blogger or this this and like there which was like kind of like yeah, everything gets way more exposure. <laughs> way more exposure and it grows fast and that's what's so cool about it. You know, I also think people are taking more time for themselves, spending less time yeah, at bars and more time that's true. at meditation circles. Right. Yeah, then it's like okay to be like, oh, we don't just go to a bar every night, but like, oh, let's yeah, oh, there's a sound bath this weekend. Let's try that. But, totally. Yeah. So it's cool, you know. It's like I feel like really grateful to be in a place to like share that with so many people. And like in the past couple of years now, I've actually been merging sound and and surf in retreat settings with yoga and other things too. So kind of more wellness retreats. Um, And so it's been kind of nice. Like I didn't really ever see them merging and, you know, I just didn't think about it. I like loved doing the sound work and I love surfing and they felt like two separate things. Like the sound bath stuff was at night. The surfing stuff was in the day. Like it was like almost two different worlds. And now to be able to merge the two in a more holistic wellness space is really chill. And is that did retreats, was that again like something that was your idea that somebody was like, Hey Cass, why don't you lead a retreat or just come on this one? Like you've done so many different Thing. Totally. And it's all just like changes, you know? Yeah. I think like just um, try it out. Well, that's it. And like things kind of come and evolve and change. And like I the first time I brought sound and surf together in a retreat was actually with the girls that love yoga, which was one of the first studios that we started actually doing the mm. actual called sound baths. Like before they were, like I said, they were called abductions and they were yeah. at like music <laughs> venues and art spaces, really. So they are like, hey, we're doing a retreat in Costa Rica. Would you want to do some sound baths? And I'm like, yeah, cool. cool." So I just went to support with some sound baths. And we surfed on the side, but it wasn't my retreat. It was their yoga retreat. And then I did that a couple times with a couple different people. And then actually last year I hosted – well, two years ago I hosted my first retreat um, in Japan with my friend Millie, who's a yoga teacher. And we collaborated on that. And then last year, I teamed up with this woman, Karina, from um, – she has an organization called Tribe Wire, and she's working on creating, like, more holistic wellness retreats in different – like, she'll do a boxing retreat oh, or, wow. like – she'll do, like, random cool. stuff, you know? And so we did a surf and sound one together, nice. and then this year I'm doing a couple – so it's like those retreats, like I'm starting to do more and more and yeah. they're actually now like selling out like really well. But my whole thing about them is doing really small retreats. Like I'm not trying to get 20 people yeah, together. I like to cap experience. it. Yeah. Like I just really want everybody to feel really um, supported. Yeah. And I want to really bring people together in a very communal way. And I think like after about 13 people generally people start to break off into subgroups and it's really nice when we have like a really kind of like collective experience together as a group so i like to keep the group small and then also so everybody a is safe in the water that's number one feels like they're getting the support they need uh when it comes to the water stuff and then with the sound stuff it's like you know the more people you hold space for like it's nice to kind of have those smaller groups if you want to go pretty deep with like meditation and other practices Awesome. And so I yeah. And then you recently released like the online surfing video class or something yeah. too, right? That's what I just love. Yeah, I love that you've 
just, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Like, I don't know if it's, again, ideas coming to you or people coming to you or you saying that you want to do things, probably both, but that keep popping up and putting yourself out there. <laughs> it's fun. You know, it's fun. Like a couple years ago, uh, my friends at the inertia, they're amazing, you know, Zach and, and we're always doing stuff together. And I was like, dude, I want to do these surf classes just because I'd started noticing, like I was telling you before, I, I was really noticing like, Hey, there's so many people learning how to surf and it's freaking dangerous for themselves and other people. Right. A lot of people just don't have awareness and they're getting um, a surf lesson from somebody that doesn't really know how to surf much themselves. And that basically yeah. equates to somebody just getting pushed into a wave and knowing nothing about the ocean or their board awareness. Right. Because it's not like they're like getting, oh, well, you have a, I have a surf instructor certification that I went to and got this or whatever, totally. right? Like It's somebody that like- It's like, okay, summer job, sure. Yeah. yeah, summer job or like maybe they don't surf themselves or they're from like another place. Like a, a lot of, you know, and nothing bad about people, you know, it's yeah. just more like a lot of them, they have good intentions, but like they're like, oh, I'm a snowboarder in the winter and I like surfing in the summer, so I'll just get a job doing that. But they're just learning themselves right. kind of, but they know enough to push somebody in. So they're not really like sharing that yeah. knowledge about the ocean or like, so I was just like, man, this is dangerous. And, you know, I had, you know, some friends that had some pretty heavy stuff go down that I won't get into. Um, but I was just really kind of like, because of that, just, and also experiencing getting in some bad injuries from people that didn't know what they were doing and, and just seeing like the tension in the water. I was like, dude, this is dangerous for everybody. And so I brought it up to my friends at the inertia, like maybe like three or four years ago, I was like, dude, we got to do this. And they were like, um, that's not, what, we're like a news channel. Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? But really we kept talking about it for like four years. So this is another instance of bringing things up. Right. Like I was just like, I know like maybe it sounds crazy. I don't know how to do it. I'm right. just saying there's like a You guys know about to do stuff with videos. I'm talking yeah, to you. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I just think there's an opportunity to do an online surf course. There's so many people learning later in life. Yeah. Like I had the you know ability to learn as a kid, but there's so many people learning later. And it's like, how do they – how do we share what we know? And so I just kept bringing it up for four years, sounding like a broken record. <laughs> and then finally it was like, yeah, it's the time is now. Let's yeah. go. We, let's do it. I was just with Tristan and she even was like, I want to take like Tristan, who's been surfing her yeah. whole life was like, I want I need, oh, I want to take Cassia's longboard course. <laughs> it's cool. You know, <laughs> it's like, I feel like it gives a lot of refreshers and and now what people can do with videos and stuff, like they can get so tech with like yeah. slow-mos and stuff. So it was really cool. And, and that's where it was really great to team up with them because it's like, you know, a lot of the times I have the ideas and I have like that initial spark and then partnering up with people, which is why collaborations are amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, they really did the due diligence of like looking into kind of how to formulate the class in the best yeah. way. And then we both collaborated on the content and how we could best illustrate it. And so I think it's like, that's the nature of collaboration and the nature of working with people. It's like, there's, you know, a couple minds on something is always going to make it that much better. And, you know, it's lonely to be doing stuff on your own and it's way more fun to do stuff with other people and it's going to be that much better. So like, I just encourage people to try and collaborate with friends and and people that they really um or yeah if you still respect. see somebody that has oh that person's good with videos or whatever totally. like you see that somebody can do something that you can't and then yeah how can we work together how can we support each other that's what the thing can we come up with together it's more fun yeah awesome I love how you've done so many different Thanks things so much all right um what keychain phrase do you feel like you're most resonating with right now so resonating because you were explaining so it to i was before. saying to not necessarily pick which phrase you like the most but which like reminder you feel like you might need more in your life right now it's there's so many good ones you know <laughs> it's like more like i want to comment on stuff <laughs> you know but which reminder would you like to see every day <laughs> well I mean, I'm magic is always a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, that's like, you know, that's the one, you know, that's amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm magic is the one. Like, right. I just think that's fun. Yeah. Magic is fun. It is. And we are magic. I mean, yes. we're alive. So that's pretty magic. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. These are cute. Thank you. 
Um, all right. What is something you do to raise your joy levels when you're like not feeling? Yeah. Like maybe you have an interview or you're about to go do something and you're like, maybe you're burnt out and tired and you're on a weird time difference. Like yeah. something you do to up your joy levels. So you can be more present. I just love a little like movement, you yeah. know, movement super cool. Like, you know, we're doing like a bunch of Qigong stuff right now and Ooh, that's super fun. I forgot about that. Qigong's groovy. Yeah. So I'll just do like some little swinging or sometimes I'll just jump around or if I'm in the car, sometimes I'll just start singing ridiculous stuff to get myself <laughs> really excited. That Actually, there's no words. I just like, or I'll sing to my dog and make up a song about yeah. nothing because <laughs> that's always just fun to be silly. Awesome. Yeah, I think being silly is like my medicine for joy. Yeah. You know, just like really, especially if I'm like dead tired, being really goofy and silly is my favorite thing. <laughs> Love it. Um, okay. I ask everybody this phrase, I am always thinking of myself, what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. And so I ask everybody to apply that to their life. What is easiest for me is to blank. What is best for me is to can show up in different ways, but like your daily practice or how you communicate with people, your work. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's funny that you say that what's easiest for me and what's best for me. I mean, what's easiest for me is always to say yes to everybody. And what's best for me is to say yes to myself first. Yeah. So that's huge, you huge. know? Um, and more often than not, actually, as a practice, saying yes to me means saying no to somebody else, whether it's like a engagement or something. So it's like a fine line between like being and doing and having fun and, and sharing community and being out and also like taking self-care yeah. and nurturing yourself. So that's something I struggle with because I definitely um, or have struggled with and I'm constantly like working on adapting is like just chilling. I have so, so many things going on and I'm excited all the time. So I want to do everything. And usually that ends up in like me burning out and yeah. getting sick or hurting myself. Yeah. Especially no. being younger, I was always jacking myself up. Yeah. No, that's a lesson I had to learn too. And I like teach that same sort of thing in my program. Like, yeah, you have to be a yes to yourself. And that, or yeah, and that might mean being no to other people. And wh one thing that helps me is to like see the bigger picture. So if I say yes to this, how am I going to feel? Or like then how much like, you know, like how much sleep am I going to get or whatever, like to try out, play out the bigger situation. Because especially when you have so many, it's easier to say no to things when you don't necessarily want to do them. But when you have a lot of things you want to do, then like really weighing out, like, how am I going to feel when I do this? How is this going to work? What am I choosing this over something else? And like, and like for me to remember, who am I going to be when I show up? Am I going to be like burnt out and wishing I had said no? Or am I going to be able to be there? So I might say no to that, but then I'll be able to fully show up for the other thing. Yeah. That's good. Okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I believe that it's up to us to claim our worth, to claim our value, to claim our enoughness that it's never out there somewhere. Like once I win the surfing competition, once I get this job, once I make this much money, once I make the best wetsuit ever, then I'll feel fulfilled enough, successful, like whatever. We're often trying to pin our feelings on something else mm. or some achievement, but really it's up to us to claim it for ourselves every day or else we won't feel it. So what are you claiming for yourself? What am I claiming for myself? <laughs> It can seem really big or it could be very Yeah, big. Like, I'm just being here right now. Perfect. Yeah, I'm just claiming the space I'm sitting in. That's it. <laughs> and it's not even my space. And are we really sitting here? <laughs> Thanks, Cassia. Thank you. Love you. Yeah, so much joy. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that episode. Go check out Cassia. She is at Cassia Surf on Instagram www.cassiasurf.com. Links are below. For the full episode show notes and links, go to yourjoyologist.com slash podcast. Um, for all things me, yourjoyologist.com. I'm at yourjoyologist on social media. We would love to hear from you. Share the episode. Tag us. Let me know how you found it. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because I like to know what you're doing, uh, uh, why you're listening what you're enjoying. But that also really helps the podcast get found by more people. We want that, right? So if you do leave a review, 
screenshot it. Send it to me at podcast at yourduologist.com and I'll send you a little lift gift box. Lift. Yeah, it is a lift box. It'll lift your mood. <laughs> a lift box. That's going to be my new term for it. As a thank you. You know, products. I got affirmation deck. I got magnets. I got the keychains. I got wine glasses. I got tumblers. I got mugs, notepads, you name it. Lots of goods to inspire your day. Go to shop.yourdwellchest.com. Make sure to check out my daily inspiration app. It's called Own Your Awesome. It's available in both Google Play and the Apple App Stores. And um, final thought today, think about right now in your life, what is easiest for you is not always what's best for you. What have you been choosing that is easy for you? And what can you start choosing that is better for you? Think about it. Let me know. All right. Keep on listening to more episodes or I'll catch you here next week.